So the first question is, uh, is holding on to eye or self-attention the same as holding on to Bhagwan's feet and also the highest form of devotion? It's a very simple answer, yes. <laughs> you, uh, yes, to all those questions. Um, <clears throat> that is Bhagavan's, Bhagavan and his feet are not different. And Bhagavan is always shining in our heart as I am. Bhagavan is most intimately and most truly present in our heart as I am. That is what it, the true form of Bhagavan, Ramana Swarupa, is Atma Swarupa, the, our own real nature. That is Ramana Swarupa. So holding on to I am is holding on to Bhagavan. And there is no devotion higher than that. <clears throat> Bhagavan makes that very clear in, um, <clears throat> in verses 8 and 9 of, um, of uh, Upadesha Undia. <clears throat> in verse 8 of Upadesha Undia, what he says is, Anya bhavatin abanahamahum ananya bhavame undipara anaitinam utamam undipara. That means <coughs> rather than Anya Baba, Ananya Baba, in which he is I, is certainly the best among all. Anya Baba, in this context, Baba is a word that has many meanings. In this context, it implies meditation. Anya means what is other. So Anya Baba is meditating on anything other than oneself. And in this context, it implies meditating on God as if you were above oneself. Ananya Baba is the opposite of Anya Baba, that is meditating on what is not other. What is not other is only ourself, that is, we are not other than ourself. So an Ananya Baba implies meditating on God as oneself. So Bhagavan describes that as Ananya Baba as. Abhanahamahum Ananya Babam. That is an Ananya Baba in which he is I. So when we understand that Bhagavan is that which is shiny in our heart as I, meditating on him as I alone, that is anatinum utamam. That is the best among all. So Bhagavan is very, very clear, but <clears throat> meditating on Bhagavan or Aranachala as a name and form is good. But so long as we see them as a name and form, we are seeing them as other than ourselves. And inevitably, so long as we look outwards, when we are looking outwards, we are experiencing ourselves as I am this body. So if I am this body, then I'm something other than Bhagavan. Because Bhagavan is, this body is limited. Bhagavan is unlimited. So we seem to be something other than Bhagavan because we look outwards and consequently are aware of ourselves as I am this body. <clears throat> if we look inwards, the adjunct, I, this body, begins to drop off. And if we look within deep enough, we will sink into the innermost depth of our heart where the adjuncts will drop off entirely and the pure awareness I am alone will remain. That is the reality of ego. That <clears throat> Ego is the adjunct mixed awareness, I am this body. But the only real element, the reality of ego, is only the pure awareness I am. That is Bhagavan. So by attending to I am, we thereby sink within. And by sinking within, we lose ourselves in him. 
So that is the high, highest devotion because it's the highest surrender. And he goes on to confirm that in the next verse, verse 9, by saying, Bhavad Balatinal, by the strength of meditation, Bhavanatita Sat Bhava Tirutale, being in Sat Bhava, which transcends Bhavana, uh, <coughs> alone is Parabhakti Tattva Mundipara. That alone is Parabhakti Tattva. What that means is, by the strength of meditation, which meditation is he talking about? In the previous verse, he said, the, the, the best among all is Ananya Bhava. So the Bhava he's referring to here is the Ananya Bhava. So and Bhava Balatinal means Ananya Bhava Balatinal. In other words, by the strength of, uh, of, of Ananya Bhava, or Ananya Bhava means self-attentiveness. When we, <clears throat> if we're meditating on what is not other than ourself, what are we meditating on? We're meditating on ourself alone. So it's self Ananya Bhava is another way of describing self-attentiveness. So by the strength of that self-attentiveness, being in Sat Bhava, Sat Bhava means the state of being, Bhavana uh, Tita, uh, uh, which transcends Bhavana. Bhavana here means meditation in the sense of thinking or imagining. <clears throat> that alone is Parabhakti Tattva, the nature or reality of supreme devotion. That is, to the extent to which we attend to ourselves, to that extent do we subside. And to the extent to which we subside, we remain in our natural state of just being. That is Sat Baba. And in that state of just being, it transcends all, all meditation in the sense of mental activity. That is, attending to anything other than ourself is a mental activity. Attending to ourself is not a mental activity. It is a subsidence of all mental activity. So by the strength of self-attentiveness, we remain in Satbhava, in our natural state of just being. And that transcends all thinking. And that, that is super, the Parabhakti Tattva, the, the nature or reality or true state of supreme devotion. Why is it true? Why is it Parabhakti? Because that is the state where we have given ourselves wholly to Bhagavan. By attending to ourselves, we thereby subside into the heart where Bhagavan will swallow us. So if we want to surrender ourselves to Bhagavan, we have to attend to ourselves so keenly that we thereby subside back into the heart. As he says, for example, in the, in the first sentence of the 13th paragraph of Nana, he defines what is surrender, what is giving ourselves to Bhagavan, or what is giving ourselves to God. Anma chintane tabira, vera chintane kalamba vadaku, satram idum kodamal, apmanishta paranai irapade, that, that means being as Atmanishtaparan. Atmanishtaparan means one who is firmly established as oneself. So in other words, Atmanishtaparan Ayurapade is what he describes in that verse 9 as um, a Satbhava uh, to Iratal, being in Satbhava. Uh, that is That is giving oneself to God. So how do we? How can we remain as Atmanishta Param, one who is firmly establishes oneself? He indicates in the in the first clause, which is an adverbial clause. Um, 
Anma chintane tabira vera chintane kalambu deku satram idum kodamo. That means giving not even the slightest room to the rising of any thought other than apma chintana. Apma chintana literally means thought of oneself, it implies self attentiveness. So the implication here, we need to be so keenly self attentive. But we thereby give no room to the rising of any other thought. By the strength of that self attentiveness, we remain in Sat Baba. In other words, we remain as Atmanishta Param. That is giving ourselves to God. Because when we attend to ourselves, we thereby sink back into our source. And Bhagavan is our source. That, that is that, that fundamental awareness I am, from which we have risen as I am this body. That fundamental awareness I am, that is Bhagavan. So how to give ourselves to Bhagavan? Only by attending to that fundamental awareness I am and thereby sinking back into it. Because the nature of ego is to rise, stand and flourish by attending to other things, but to subside and dissolve back into Bhagavan, into its source by attending to itself. So yes, Bhagavan's feet are what is shiny in our heart as I. Holding on to his feet, means holding on to I. Uh, Michael, the next question is, uh, there are moments uh, when it is very difficult for me to abide in the self. For example, when there's conflict with other people, should I avoid relationships that are troubled so that it becomes easier to abide in the self? Don't try to avoid anything. That is the... Don't, that is, don't outwardly avoid anything. What we need to avoid is allowing our attention to go outwards. All the problems arise because we allow our attention to go outwards. We can't blame the world. We can't blame the problems of relationships or anything in this world. We cannot blame that for our being distracted. Why are we attending to these things? Because we still have a taste to go out and experience all these things. So the problem doesn't lie in the external world. The problem lies in us, in our liking to attend to the external world. So Bhagavan, never, Bhagavan said, external life, it's going on according to prarabdha. Bhagavan said in one place in Maharshi Gospel, it's recorded, Bhagavan said, no, make no effort either to work or to renounce. Your effort itself is a bondage. Why should we be concerned about this external world? Okay, now we experience ourselves as a person. This person has a certain destiny in this world. Let this person experience that destiny. Our aim is to separate ourselves from this person. Merely separating ourselves from others doesn't solve a problem because we're still taking this person along with us. What we need to separate ourselves from is the person we seem to be. So long as I'm aware of myself as I am Michael, I have relationships with others and some relationships will be very pleasant, some will be very unpleasant. All sorts of relationships are there. So let us not worry about the relationships. Let us not worry about the person whom we mistake ourselves to be. We are not this person. Who am I? That is our aim. So we turn back within. If we are distracted by, uh, by problems in relationships and so on, the problem lies not in those relationships, but in our own vasanas. But vasanas are only inclinations. We are never bound by our vasanas. 
if we are swayed by our vasanas, that is because we want to be swayed by our vasanas. But vasanas cannot sway us unless we allow ourselves to be swayed by them. That is why we need to cling. As far as we are willing to do so, we need to cling to self-attentiveness. The more we cling to self-attentiveness, the more our sat vasana will be strengthened and our vishaya vasanas will be weakened. So we will... We will we be, become more and more unconcerned about these things. Yeah, it's, it's inevitable. If we are a person, we have we cannot avoid relationships with other people, and some relationships are smooth. Some are are, are not so smooth. I mean, all sorts of problems are there in the world. Um, so we, we cannot we so long as we take ourselves to be a person, we cannot avoid any problems in, of the world. Whatever problems the world we, throws at us, there are problems if we are this person. But are we this person? Are we this body? Who am I? That is what we need to find out. So we need to, we need to, we need Udasina Baba. Udasina Baba means an attitude of indifference to these things. Yes, okay, but it's in, inevitable there will be. Even Bhagavan had problems in relationships. When he was living on the hill, there were sadhus who were jealous of him because see, he were, more people were coming to him than coming to them. So there were problems there. You cannot live as a person in this world without having relationship problems. But what we need to do is to separate ourselves from this person. These, all these problems that happened around Bhagavan, not only the jealous sadhus, in later years, Paramal Swami, who at one time was a very good devotee of Bhagavan, but he wanted to have an upper hand. And in Skandashram, he was more or less the manager of the ashram. So when, but because he was bossing over people, people slowly started to sideline him. They didn't want him, someone bossing over them. So he got pushed aside um, by, because of his own behavior. And therefore, he got angry. But I am a rightful manager of the ashram. So he even put court cases against Bhagavan. Most of us go through our life smoothly without anyone putting court cases against us. Bhagavan had to face court cases put against him. So it is inevitable there will be problems in relationships in this world. How do we escape all these problems? By disidentifying ourselves with this person. Though Paramaswami gave so much trouble to Bhagavan, Bhagavan was always very, very kind to him. <clears throat> One of the court cases, but it, Paramaswami lost the court case in a lower court. So he came to the ashram and he came to Bhagavan and said, you may have won this case, but I will not leave you. I will take you to the higher, I will take you to the high court. I will take you to the Supreme Court, but I will not leave you. What can you do? Even if you're God as you claim to be, which Bhagavan, of course, never claimed to be, but even if you're God as you claim to be, even if you, what can you do? You can only put me in hell, but I will not leave you. Bhagavan said, even if you go to hell, I will not leave you. That actually, those are words of supreme compassion. At that time, uh, Paramaswami took that as a challenge. But Bhagavan will, is going to continue fighting the court case, even when they go to hell together. <laughs> but what Bhagavan meant is something quite different. Why will Bhagavan not leave him even if he goes to hell? Because Bhagavan is that I in Paramahsami, but he's saying, I will not leave you. So they, we can never leave Bhagavan. 
<laughs> so, but in later years, when Paramaswamy, having lost all his court cases and lost all his friends and supporters, when he was nearing the end of his life, and um, and he was beginning to regret all the mistakes he had made, one day he came to the ashram uh, dispensary because he was sick, so he came to get some medicines. This was in the 1950s. At that time, Sadhuam was living in the ashram, and he was he was he was assisting the doctor as the compounder in the dispensary. So Paramaswami came there, and Paramaswami told Sadhuam, "I was so foolish. I put all these cases against Bhagavan, and one day when I when I challenged Bhagavan and I said I will not leave you." He said, even if I go to hell, he will not leave me. At that time, I didn't understand what he meant. Now I understand those are words of supreme compassion. What a fool I have been to have wasted my life um, in, in this way. But of course, his life isn't wasted because even, if, even though he was thinking of Bhagavan with so much enmity, he was at least thinking of Bhagavan. And mere thought of Bhagavan, mere thought of Arunachal is enough for liberation. So Bhagavan will save him in spite of all the trouble he gave him. So when Bhagavan was so indifferent to all, or so unaffected by all the, the relationship problems he had, which are far greater than relationship problems we have, because, of course, when you get name and fame, along with name and fame will come shame and blame. They're inevitable. They always go together. So the more famous you get, the more the more people will abuse you and be jealous of you and everything. So uh, we, we we shouldn't be. We need to be indifferent to all these things. Just like Bhagavan was unaffected by all these things, we need to be unaffected. How can we be unaffected? Only by turning within and separating ourselves from this person whom we seem to be. So long as I am Michael, if people say nasty things to Michael, I will take offense. But why should I think I am Michael? <laughs> Let them say anything they want about Michael. I shouldn't take myself to be Michael and thereby take offense. I hope that adequately answers that question. Yes, Michael, thank you very much. Right. <laughs> um. The next question is, uh, you talked of grace. Uh, can we use this song as a means of sadhana, that is chanting it daily as a prayer, asking for grace? Has this been indicated by Bhagwan? <clears throat> Sometimes uh, when people ask the, the, the Bhagavan the meaning of Akshamlai, he said, just reciting it is the meaning. That is, this is such a powerful song. Even if you're not able to fully understand the meaning, it will do what it, it will serve its purpose. This is a song of pure love. If you can feel, even if you don't understand the meaning of the verses, if you can feel the love that, that Bhagavan poured into these verses, if you feel even a, a tiny iota of that love <laughs> Bhagavan passed, put into these verses, that love will save you, because bhakti is a mother of jnana, as Bhagavan said. So definitely, there is no greater aid and support to us in this path than Arunachakshramrai. This is Bhagavan's supreme gift to this world. Because without love, how can we attain 
how can we how can we surrender ourselves without all consuming love and this song is a vehicle of pure heart melting all consuming self effacing self sacrificing love so there's no greater aid in this part than this song even if you don't understand the meaning of it merely reciting it will have its own benefit the mere thought of arunachala will give liberation bhagwan says in the very first verse arunachala mena ahamene ne pava ahateva arupaya arunachala arunachala you root out the egos of those who think of you in the heart as arunachala so merely thinking of arunachala i will talk more about this next time because this that first verse has so much deep deep meaning but the mere thought of arunachala will will work in our mind and draw our mind within and thereby merge it back into its source i will as i will explain next time when i talk about the first verse of this first verse which is such a such a simple but such a deep deep an important verse which has a double meaning like many of the verses they can be interpreted at different levels thought of arunachala can mean thought of the name and form of arunachala it can also mean what is arunachala arunachala as bhagwan says in the second verse of arunachala mm-hmm. um uh, pancharatnam you're always dancing in the heart as i uh, um nan entridaya naditu um 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 since you're always dancing in the heart as i he says um um nityamum nan entridaya naditu duve you are always dancing in the heart as i since you're always dancing in the heart as i they say you are heart itself so bhagavan is in the heart dancing as i as the heart he's both he's both in the heart and as the heart he is the heart itself and the heart is what is shining in our heart as i so the thinking of arunachala means that is it, it has a double meaning ahame means both in the heart it also means i only i so thinking thinking of i with the understanding that arunachala is only i is one meaning the other meaning is thinking of arunachala in the heart so certainly this song is the greatest greatest aid and support in this path thank you i have answered my question right <laughs> yeah so it can be sung daily definitely definitely it should oh, be no, sung no, daily meaning is amazing it is amazing it amazing. is amazing but but it's something the meaning we won't understand the meaning first time but the more we contemplate upon it the more and more the meaning will reveal itself to us yes that is true not only of of akshramali that's true of all bhagavan's verses they're all very deep in meaning but only to the extent to which we contemplate upon them and try to put them into practice that is most important will they reveal their inner meaning their deep implications even even traditionally in there's a tamil saying that yes. you have to uh, die in varanasi to get liberated 
ಮಂತ್ರ Yeah, because again, that name the name and form of arunachala has this special power like the name and form of bhagavan to turn our mind back within and draw it deep within the heart can i sing this once please i just interrupt don't mind yes. arunachala shiva arunachala shiva arunachala shiva arunachala ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಶಿವ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಶಿವ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ಶಿವ ಅರುಣಾಚಲ ದಟ್ ಅಲೋನ್ ಅದು ಒಂದೇ ಪೋದಂ ಅದು ಒಂದೇ ಪೋದಂ ದಟ್ ಅಲೋನ್ ಇಸ್ ಸಫಿಶಿಯಂಟ್ ಯೆಸ್ ಈವನ್ ಫಾರ್ ಪೀಪಲ್ ಹೂ ಡೋಂಟ್ ನೋ ಟಮಲ್ ಲರ್ನಿಂಗ್ ದಿ ವರ್ಸಸ್ ಮೇ ಮೇ ಬಿ ಡಿಫಿಕಲ್ಟ್ but yeah. at least we can sing arunachala shiva that one that one verse that one yes. sentence yes yes yeah it's like aham aham yes yes no because arunachala is aham arunachala is arunachala mena ahame mm. thank you <laughs> thank you right you brought tears to my eyes when you <laughs> explained i didn't bring any tears to your eyes bhagavan brings tears to our eyes because by his immense grace in our stone stony heart our hard hearts mm. he has planted the seed of love in our heart and like a small seed of a banyan tree that gets caught in a crack in a rock it will slowly spread out its roots and finally it will split that rock into two in this way bhagavan sows this seed in our heart and finally he will this rock hard not this chichara granti which is as hard as a rock he will split it in two that is granti beda a splitting by cutting of the knot yes that can be achieved only by love no power in this world other than love can annihilate ego Thank you. The next question is um, what was the opinion of Ramana Maharishi about garlic and onion? Why do people on the spiritual path not eat garlic and onion? Bhagavan said about garlic. Garlic is very good for the body, not so good for the mind. But um very very orthodox people and certain and yogis and others they will avoid garlic and onion bhagavan used to cook with garlic and onions he also made medicines with garlic so 
Bhagavan was very, very strict about vegetarian food. Not, not, they, we shouldn't eat any food that causes harm to other living beings. So vegetarian food is very important. In the modern day context, we can say vegan food because even though um, the Indian culture is a lacto-vegetarian culture, the way milk was produced in old days is very different to the way it is produced now. We, nowadays, with the dairy industry, we know there's so much harm, in, in, so much uh, cruelty to cows in the dairy industry in so many ways. So um, nowadays, it's most appropriate to be vegan because uh, one of the fundamental moral principles that any spiritual aspirant must follow is ahimsa. As far as garlic and onions is concerned. Yes, they do have some effect in uh, tending to excite passions. That is why very strict yogis and very orthodox uh, Brahmins and others will avoid garlic and onion. But we, we, though it's important, I mean, though food, as Bhagavan says, mitta satvikahara is the best of all the Nitahat Satvigahara Nyama is the greatest of all the Nyamas, it's greatest of all the restrictions. To what it, that is, we shouldn't be, we don't have to be so dependent on food. So eating a little bit of garlic and onion is, if, we're, if we've got love to turn within, a little bit of garlic and onion is not going to, um, is not going to, uh, stand in the way of our turning within. Bhagavan's mother was very orthodox. So um, she was very strictly avoiding all garlic and onion. So Bhagavan used to tease her when she was about to eat something. Bhagavan said, oh, it's got garlic, it's got, it's got onion. Moksha will fly away if you eat that. So, And she's so orthodox, she will, she will not eat it. But whether it's got... So Bhagavan used to tease her, but the reason he teased her was to, was to break her attachments to all these, um, all these very orthodox and, uh, ideas and I, the identification. I am a Brahmin. I don't eat garlic, that type of thing. So Bhagavan, though Bhagavan did say, yes, it's not good for mine, he said it's good for the body. So in moderation, there's... Um, I don't think we have to be concerned about it. Bhagavan certainly wasn't so strict about garlic and onion. We can follow his example. Uh, the next question is, um, since I don't like being a person in the world, I feel that I'm, being, I'm using Bhagavan's teaching as a form of escapism. As I keep following the teaching, my family and close friends think that I'm becoming more and more disconnected from our ordinary reality. It seems that if I continue on this path, I will lead this dream character that now seems to be into a bad place. Do you have any suggestions? Thank you. If you didn't have like, if you didn't have liking to be a person, you wouldn't rise as ego. The very fact that you arise as ego, is it because you like to be a person? Because but we have all sorts of likes and dislikes in our heart. Often our likes and dislikes are contrary to each other. We, we, uh, we like one thing, but we know it's not good for us. So we also like to avoid it. So 
being a person is not good for us. Whenever we rise as ego, we experience ourselves as I am this person. So we know being a person, it brings all problems. If we didn't rise as I am this person, as I am this body, we wouldn't experience all these problems. So because we've understood Bhagavan's teaching, we have some liking to avoid being a person. But at the same time, we still have liking to be this, the person we seem to be. So we, we haven't totally given up the liking to rise as ego, to rise as this false awareness, I am this person. So that is why we need to follow Bhagavan's path, to turn with him more and more and more, and thereby to detach ourselves from this person. Bhagavan's path is not a part of escapism. If you, if you divert your mind towards anything other than I, you can call that escapism. But this is the path where we are turning back within to go back to the reality. So we're not escaping anything. Well, we are escaping everything, but it, the, the motivation is to know and to be what we actually are and thereby to free ourselves from everything else. So don't worry about uh, being escapist. Just follow Bhagavan's path. That's all that's required. And if we're following Bhagavan's path correctly, other people need not even know. You don't have to show others that you're, that you're not interested in this worldly life. Outwardly, we have to act in an appropriate manner in this world. If we have a... If we have a family, for example, we have to play the role of a family person because who is playing the role? It's the person we seem to be. So let this person play its role. Let us play our role. What is our role? What is our swadharma? Clinging to I am. So let the outward life go on according to the dharma of the person we take ourselves to be, the outward dharma. Let the inward life go on according to our own real dharma, which is holding on to I am. Bhagavan often said, your swadharma is just to be, not to be this or that. Swadharma, dharma comes from the root, dru, which means to hold. And swa means oneself. So holding oneself, that is the highest of all swadharmas. That is the true swadharma. So the swadharma, our swadharma is to cling to is to cling to I am. This person has a certain role to play in this world. It will be it, it, it born in a certain family. It may have a husband or a wife or children or parents or brothers or sisters and friends and um, work colleagues and everything. There are so many relationships for this person. Let this person play its role perfectly in this world. We need to just separate ourselves from this person. Um, Michael, the next question is, um, it's, it's, it's a very small question that, um, who said Akshama uh, um, Malai to tune? Was it Bhagwan himself? Um, it, it, people sing it on different tunes. But it, it it is because it is poetry. It naturally lends itself to being sung, and it is possible to sing it on different tunes. Um, the 
the song, the, the tune on which I'm most familiar with it is the tune on which Sadom used to sing it, which I think was, um, I, it's, it's the tune that he considered the natural tune to sing it on. But I've heard people singing it on other tunes. I don't think Bhagavan specifically set any tune for it. Did Bhagwan encourage devotees, if possible, to seek out a living guru who is established in the self alongside following his teachings? Sadhuam used to say, a living guru is absolutely essential. But what do you mean by living guru? Guru is not the body. If you mean, if what, what most people mean when they talk about living guru is a a living body. Sadhwam used to say, if the living guru you're looking for is a living body, that living guru will one day become a dead guru. What is the use of such a, such a, 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 a guru who lives only for a brief time and will one day be a dead guru? We want an eternally living guru. That eternally living guru is Bhagavan because he is ever living in our heart as I. Guru is not the outward form. Guru is our own real nature, Atma Swarupa. That which is shining in our heart as I am, that is the real form of Guru. That is what Bhagavan has revealed and made so, emphasized so much. But then why does Guru appear externally? Because our attention, because we have risen as ego and are looking outward, looking for this or that outside. We're looking for happiness. We're looking for God. We're looking for Brahman. We're looking for all these things outside. It is necessary for Guru, who is our, who is Swarupa, our own real nature, to appear outwardly in name and form to tell us to turn back within. So the outward form of a guru, the function of the outward form of a guru is to give us the teachings, to turn back within. Bhagavan has given us those teachings. So what more can we learn from anyone else but we cannot learn from Bhagavan? So no living guru other than Bhagavan is necessary. Bhagavan is the eternally living guru. So what Bhagavan taught us about Guru is something far deeper and more refined than what most people understand by Guru. In most, um, most uh, sampradayas, in most uh, traditions, there is a parampara, a lineage of Gurus. But Bhagavan never started a lineage of Gurus. Why? Because Bhagavan, Bhagavan's teaching is that Guru is not the body. Guru is ever available, ever shiny in our heart as I. The outward form of Guru is necessary only to give us the teachings. Bhagavan has given us those teachings. In fact, those teachings are always being given by the Supreme Guru, Arunachala. But Arunachala is teaching only through silence. Since we are too dull to understand that silence, Arunachala took human form as Bhagavan to give us those what he's always teaching through silence, he's given us those teachings in words for our, to, for, to, for, to suit our dull heads, our dull minds. And um, he, now he's given those teachings. He, he, we, we don't need to go looking for any other guru. Bhagavan said, where to find guru? Look within your own heart. If we're going outward looking for some living guru, 
so-called living guru, living body, which is not guru, because guru is not the body. If we're going out looking, we have not understood Bhagavan. If we've understood Bhagavan correctly, we should understand, yes, we have to find that eternally living guru who is ever shiny in our heart as I. That is Bhagavan. That is the true guru. So guru is only one. Hi, Michael. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I do uh, agree with that to some extent. It's just obviously, you know, with, um, let's say, the teachings of Bhagavan, you know, let's say, for example, uh, language, um, you know, that's that's a barrier for a lot of people. 80% of the world, for example, don't speak English and will not know Tamil. And so coming into contact with Bhagavan's teaching, you know, the probability is going to be very low um, in terms of, um, you know, for the majority of the population. Uh, if you're, if you're looking outwards, you can work out probabilities and say it's low because you, you probably don't know Tamil or even if you know, or you don't know English or whatever. The probability of coming across the guru when you're ready to come across the guru is 100%. Because all these things, it's all that is this whole world is the power that is driving all that is happening in this world is the grace of Guru, the grace of Bhagavan. Mm -hmm. So he, when we are ready for his teachings, we will certainly come across his teachings. See, now there are some 74 people, 74 of us attending this meeting. We, there are people in all corners of the world, a few in India, but most of us are in Europe or North America or Australia or Japan or we're scattered all over the world. How, how we have all come to Bhagavan? Because when we are ready for it, he will reveal himself to. So Guru knows how to take care of these things. We have been fortunate we have come to Guru and now... If we've understood our guru correctly, what our guru teaches us is all that we need to search for is within. We need to look within, not look outside. So anyone who is going outside looking for a living guru has not understood Bhagavan. Anyone who claims to be a disciple of Bhagavan and poses as guru has not understood Bhagavan. There are many people who say, I belong to the lineage of Ramana Maharshi. Uh, I'm a disciple of Punja, and Punja was a disciple of Ramana Maharshi. Therefore, I belong to a lineage of Ramana Maharshi. Anyone who talks about a lineage has not understood Bhagavan. But lineage, lineage means a line. What is the line that Bhagavan showed us? A line straight back within, a direct path back to ourselves. So anyone who claims to be guru has not understood Bhagavan. Anyone who claims any disciple of Bhagavan to be a guru has not understood Bhagavan. If we have, if we have taken Bhagavan as our guru, he is ever shiny in our heart as I. We never need any other guru. It's only the outgoing tendency of the mind, the vishaya vasanas, that makes us interested. Oh, this one's a Mahatma, this one's a Mahatma. He teaches something, he teaches something. He says, if you come and sit in my presence, yeah, I will quieten your mind. We look for all these gimmicks outside. We won't find anything outside. The whole purpose of Vedanta 
the all of Vedanta is summarized in three words, Tatvamasi. What is the practical implication of Tatvamasi has been revealed by Bhagavan. You are that means investigate yourself, don't investigate anything else. So if we've understood Vedanta properly, if we've understood Bhagavan properly, we will stop looking outside, we'll look only within. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. Right. Sort of uh, the last question is just, uh, it simply says that uh, it's asking whether, Michael, you've had a chance to listen to Sadhu Om singing in person and what was it like being around Sadhu Om? <laughs> um, well, I, I can say it was a great blessing. But Sadhuam is, outwardly, he was a very, very simple and humble person. So he, he will make it seem so ordinary, being in his company. Um, but it, um, so, so it's very easy to be, um, to be, uh, to, to overlook his greatness because of his simplicity. But he was, but, but the greatest benefit I gained from being in Sadhuam's company, and I think anyone who, would have, who was in his company would have gained it, is his great love for Bhagavan, which was infectious. And so that is the, um, I was already attracted to Bhagavan before I met Sadhuam, but the, 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 degree of my love for Bhagavan was, was uh, intensified to a very great extent by being in his company. Also, he, he, was, he was fully immersed in Bhagavan's teachings. He had such a clear understanding of Bhagavan's teachings. And I'm, I'm someone who always likes to understand things. I, for eight, the eight years I was with him, I questioned him relentlessly. And the more I questioned him, the more clarity, of, the, the, the deeper and deeper the clarity of understanding of Bhagavan's teachings, he, he, well, he enabled me to understand Bhagavan's teachings more and more deeply, more and more clearly. So that love and clarity but it's the very nature of Bhagavan was shining through Sadhuam. So I was fortunate to be with Sadhuam and to benefit from that love and clarity. So anything I'm saying now, it is, well, of course, the source is Bhagavan. Sadhuam never claimed to be a source of anything. He was always completely effaced himself. But having been with someone who was wholly surrendered to Bhagavan, who had completely effaced himself, uh, through Sadhuam, I was able to be infected by the, the, the supreme love and supreme clarity that is Bhagavan. So, so, <coughs> recently, a couple of times, people have asked me why Sadhuam was called Sadhuam. There's a reason. When people asked him, how did you get this name Om? He said, I didn't get it. It's the name of everyone. Because Om is the name of Brahman, and we are all Brahman. So he chose that name Om because it's a totally impersonal name. And he 
chose to call himself Saduam because generally sannyasis are referred to as Swami, which sounds, Swami sounds very grand. I mean, Swami means like a lord. But Sadhu is something very humble. So because he wanted, he didn't want to be called Swami. He wanted simply to be taken as a simple, ordinary Sadhu. He called himself Sadhu Om. So that name is a very apt name for him because it's a totally impersonal name. And he was a person who had totally effaced himself because of his total effacement of himself. But the love and clarity about his Bhagavan shone through him so clearly and so um, so palpably and so infectiously. Well, Michael, I think uh, that's... Uh, um, okay, so there is one more question. Okay. Um, I am devoted to the path shown by Bhagavan and I experience what you said. It's a daily struggle between the Satvasanas and Vishavasanas. I'm also confronted with, lonely, with, with loneliness along, um, in following this path. There is absolutely no one around me that I can talk about this. I have to remind myself that this loneliness is Bhagwan's grace to turn deeper and deeper within. Could you please say something ab uh, more about loneliness on this path? We are never alone on this path. Bhagavan is always accompanying us. If, if you've got anything to say to anyone, say it to Bhagavan in your own heart. Like Bhagavan's, this akshram like, is a very good panacea for any loneliness. Because if we, if we meditate upon the meaning of akshram, like, we will know that we are never alone on this path. But Bhagavan, but Arunachala Ramana is always with us, always leading us, always guiding us, always giving us support and solace, always giving us a helping hand. So we are never alone on this path because he is always shining in our heart. We will be alone only when we lose ourselves in him and then he alone will remain. That is the true loneliness or uh, aloneness that we are all seeking. That is meaning of Kaivalya. Kaivalya means isolation or, or singleness, that is separating ourselves from everything else. That is the goal we are seeking. So there's a difference between loneliness and aloneness. Loneliness is, a, is a, an attitude of mind, but is looking for something outside. If we are looking within, then we will never feel lonely because Bhagavan is always there in our heart. 